Peter chapter 3. We're obviously continuing our study through this epistle written by Peter to the dispersed believers in Asia Minor. 1 Peter chapter 3 and our text today is verses 13 through 17. You follow along as I read these verses for us. 1 Peter 3:13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, Do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Now, as you no doubt pick up, we're going to be talking about suffering today. This text Peter is writing to people, Christians who are suffering. And suffering is certainly not a pleasant topic for us to spend much time on. It's not enjoyable. But I think that it is a topic that needs our attention. First and foremost, because God's Word deals with it. So we need to deal with it. And then... It ought to be obvious, I think it is obvious to all of us, that suffering exists. And so therefore we need to address it. We need to understand what God has to tell us, what He has to teach us, how we can be ministered to by His Word and how we can then take that and minister to others. Just real life situations, why we need to have a, I guess, a theology of suffering, if you will. And it doesn't take long when you turn on the news or read a newspaper or read online that suffering exists in our world. Those who are lower in social standing and economic standing around the world suffer at the hands of those that are at least view themselves as being better. I mean, a vast majority of Christians in our world face the threat of suffering just for being a Christian, just for professing faith in Christ. And certainly suffering is being experienced by some of us in this room right now. And if we are not suffering at this precise moment, No doubt there will be seasons of of suffering and difficulty ahead. And so we want to learn from God's Word to minister to our suffering now. But then for the rest of us that that might not be suffering at this present hour, that we are able to to take God's Word and, and encourage those who are. It's already been pointed out in our study of 1 Peter that Peter does not necessarily call us to work to put an end to suffering. Maybe that's surprising 
to us, that he, he does not call us to, to give all of our efforts to stopping suffering where we find it. Rather, Peter is teaching us how we respond to suffering, how we live under suffering. Or as Peter has already stated, how we endure suffering. Today's text continues that pattern of exhortation. Teaches us more why suffering exists. What it means for us and how we can endure that suffering by hoping in Christ. So the first thing I want us to see from this text is why suffering exists. And there's really, as I, as I see this text, there's kind of a, this bookend. There's verse 13 and, and the first part of verse 14 and then there's verse 17. And those are going to be, our first couple points are going to deal with those two bookends of this text. Why does suffering exist? Well, first big idea, suffering is the result of sin. But don't despair because of that. Suffering exists because of the presence of sin. But don't despair. Verse 13 is really a sort of rhetorical question that Peter asks. Who is there to harm you if if you are zealous for what is good? I mean, anyone with any moral sense at all is going to view somebody doing good as, as not worthy of undergoing suffering. Most people aren't going to mistreat someone who is doing good. Again, people with any moral sense at all. You're doing good. I'm not going to harm you because you're doing good. In fact, many times those who are doing good are celebrated, honored, and rightly so find it interesting that even from the earliest ages, children are taught to be that, that good behavior is rewarded. That's not a bad thing. But all throughout our lives, we understand that, that good behavior ought to be honored. People who are doing good should be honored for doing good. They certainly shouldn't be harmed because they're doing what is good. That's Peter's point in one sense in verse 13 our our answer to this is essentially of course there should be nobody to harm us when we're doing good we shouldn't expect to be hurt for doing what is good but i think this verse also communicates something perhaps even more important than that for those of us in christ who are doing good in obedience to christ There is no one that can truly harm us. We heard a few weeks ago a message from Romans chapter 8. This is a point that that Paul addresses at the end of of that chapter. Romans 8 verse 31, he concludes his argument there with, What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Again, the answer is no one. If God is for us, no one can be against us in any real and meaningful way. No one can harm us for doing good when we are in Christ. And so there's a, there's a common sense 
affirmation of this, that those who are doing good should not be harmed. But there's also a, a, a spiritual, a theological sense where those who are in Christ, in a, in a spiritual sense, face no harm from those that would, that would seek to inflict it. We are in Christ. This is the outworking of the sovereignty of God. God is in control of your life and my life. He is in control of all things. So therefore, He will keep His people from the harm of those that oppose them. This was the prayer that Jesus prayed for His disciples as He was anticipating leaving them. And you, you know His prayer, John 17. He prays for His disciples. And what does He pray? He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus prayed protection for his disciples and for all of those that would in turn become disciples through their word. So we know because God is sovereign in control of everything, because we are his children in Christ, There is no harm that can befall us. So if you're thinking along with me, I hope the question that is coming to your mind is, so what about the fact that suffering exists? What about the fact that those who are in Christ do suffer? I hope you'll understand that, yes, it's true that we face no real threat of harm because God does protect us. But that doesn't mean that Suffering won't exist in our life. How is it possible for a sovereign God to allow suffering to enter the lives of his children? I think Peter even continues to go ahead in his exhortations here. Verse 14 is really a concession that what ought to be the case, those doing good should not be harmed is often not the case. Verse 14, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake. So you shouldn't suffer for doing good. But many of you will suffer for righteousness' sake. And this is where I, I make the point that suffering is the result of sin. That which ought to be the case is not the case because sin is present in the world around us. Sin is present in our own lives. Therefore, that which should be the case is often not the case. While there should not be suffering for doing what is right, there often is suffering for doing what is right. I think it's also important to note that there is a difference between those that are simply doing good and those that are doing that which is righteous. You see, doing good is... Exactly what it sounds like, just doing good. We talk about people being celebrated and honored for for doing that which is good. And that could just be something, doing something good for humanity. Feeding the poor. Helping underprivileged people get education. These, These are good things. But there's a difference between our striving to do good things like that, which are often celebrated... And our pursuit of doing that which is righteous, that which is pleasing to God. 
Because you see what happens when we seek to live righteously. We expose in the hearts and lives of those around us the unrighteousness that exists in their life. There's a difference between simply doing good and seeking to live righteously in a way that pleases and honors God. Because when we, when we do the latter, when we seek to please God, oftentimes it rubs people the wrong way who are not also trying to please God. This is why we read of Christians around the world being imprisoned or killed because of their allegiance to Christ. It's because there are those that do not appreciate their pursuit of God, their pursuit of righteousness. This is why we see in our own lives, in the lives of those close to us, the presence of suffering, despite the fact that we are seeking to live righteously. Because when we, when we seek to live righteously in the midst of an unrighteous world, we are going to face opposition. We saw that Jesus prayed for his disciples and their protection from the evil one. We also remember Jesus' promise to his disciples that those who live godly will suffer persecution. The world hated Christ. The world's going to hate his followers. So there's a difference between doing good and doing righteous. It's clear from Scripture that we, because of the presence of sin, should expect. We shouldn't be surprised that suffering exists. Suffering will exist as long as sin continues to be present in the world. So suffering is the result of sin, but don't despair. Recognize this is the reality, but don't despair. Why not? This leads us to the second point. And I want to jump ahead to to the end of the text, verse 17. And make what, again, might be a surprising statement. Suffering is sometimes God's will. So trust Him. Suffering is the result of sin, but don't despair. Why? Because suffering is sometimes God's will for us. So trust Him. Verse 17 is sort of a a proverb. Reminded me of a verse from earlier in 1 Peter. The exact sentiment, really, that in that text where where Peter was writing to servants, he he made the point that, you know, it's, it's no honor to to be mistreated for doing what is wrong, you deserve it. The the honor comes when you are mistreated for doing what is right. That's really Peter's point again in this verse. There's really no nothing good and right about suffering when you're doing evil. But there is some, something good and right when you are suffering for doing what is good. Not only is is that the case, but sometimes suffering is God's will for us. And I want to clarify that because you might understand that some suffering is not God's will for us. Of course not. Remember I said earlier, God is sovereign. God is sovereign in control of, over all things. Therefore, any suffering in our lives is the will of God. No suffering comes into our lives. No difficulty, no hardship comes into our lives, into our relationships, apart from the hand of God 
working in that. Sometimes suffering is God's will. And this is absolutely vital for us to to understand, especially when we're in that that moment and days and weeks of, of suffering. Our suffering does not happen outside of God's will for us. God is not absent. God God has not turned His face away from us. Again, I'm reminded to our study of the book of Exodus, which began with God's people, Israel, in bondage, in slavery, in Egypt. And as you read that first chapter, there's really very little reference to God being aware of their difficulty. And of course, we know that that wasn't the case as, as the story unfolded. None of our difficulty, none of our suffering happens apart from God working that in our lives. This is absolutely essential for us to be convinced of because this helps not only, it helps us in that moment of suffering, but I I recognize that that's difficult to hear when we're suffering. It's difficult to hear that this is the will of God. What you're going through right now is, is the will of God. That's, that's not an easy truth to hear. I understand that. And I think that's why all of us having an understanding of, of how God works in, in, in suffering is so essential. One, it prepares us for the, for the day we will suffer. If we train our minds to trust God's Word, when that time of suffering comes, we're, we're already conditioned to trust God. And it also helps us as we minister to those who are themselves going through suffering. We, we come alongside and encourage them. We're able to do that when their natural response isn't to trust God because it's hard. But God has given us the ministry of coming alongside and encouraging It's important for us, it's essential for us to understand God's role in our suffering. To be convinced of it. To be committed to trust God, to take Him at His word. And to trust Him through our suffering, through our trials, through our difficulty. This truth of God's loving goodness in suffering Minister to the Apostle Paul and I want to read his own testimony and, and trust that these words will minister art to our hearts as well. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Paul writes, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. And what did Paul do? Paul did exactly what we would do. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. And what was God's answer? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul's response, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then, am I, then I am strong. 
And this is really helps us understand what, what Peter writes when he says in verse 14 that even when we suffer for righteousness sake, we will be blessed. And the reason we are blessed is because we are able to experience the power of Christ in a unique way. We experience his power in our weakness. So that we can one day say with Paul, when I am weak, then I am strong. This echoes the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. It said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Almost exactly what Peter says. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So how is it that we're blessed when we suffer for righteousness' sake? Well, a couple things. One, we are blessed because there is a reward that is waiting for us. This ties in with the fact that we cannot ultimately be harmed by those who seek to harm us. Because our reward is not in this life. Our reward awaits us in the presence of Christ. But also, we're not only blessed by looking forward. I think it's, it's important for us to look forward. It's important to look, for us to look beyond this life at the reward that awaits us in Christ. But also, like Paul, we are able now to be blessed by experiencing the power and presence of God in our lives in a way that we can't possibly enjoy apart from suffering. And so God brings us through suffering as a way to reveal more of himself to us. He does so to teach us things about him that we can't learn any other way. Teaches us the dependence upon his power and his goodness and his love in a way that we can't experience apart from that. So that is why... We have to understand that suffering is sometimes the will of God for us and to trust Him. And the key question for us is do we really view ourselves as blessed in the midst of our suffering? Is that really what we think? I think oftentimes it's, it's not. That's not our natural Response. What is our natural response? Our natural response is the end of verse 14. Have no fear of them nor be troubled is Peter's exhortation. Our response is to fear those who, who oppose us and, and to be troubled when we experience suffering. That's our natural tendency is to fear and be troubled rather than trusting. Often when we suffer something, our natural response is to stop doing whatever is bringing that suffering on us. When we're experiencing difficulty, our natural response is to run from whatever situation is, is causing that difficulty in our life. That's why I think it's important that we understand what God is trying to communicate to us. I noted earlier, Peter 
throughout his letter to those suffering does not primarily tell them to try to get out of it or, or to, to try to put an end to it. Rather, it's an encouragement to how to endure in the midst of it. See, the worst thing is not that we might experience suffering for doing good. The worst thing is that we might fail to trust God. And in our failing to trust God, we would look to our own self-defense against suffering. Against difficulty. And when I talk about suffering, maybe it's easy for us just to kind of t- tune out when you know, we, we, don't, we don't have these kind of pressures against us because of our faith in Christ or because of our attempts to live righteously. I mean, suffering can be those very heavy and difficult things, but suffering can also be everyday experiences of our life. I mean, suffering could be, even if it's not the outward opposition from co-workers because of our faith, just a kind of an unspoken hostility against us because of the things that we stand for. Maybe it's loss of, of friendships and relationships when we take a stand for and, and, and try to do what is right, do what in our, our conscience before God tells us we ought to do. We're refraining from things that God leads us to refrain from. There might be loss of relationships and friendships because of that. Again, sometimes our steps of obedience to God and, and pursuits of righteousness rubs people the wrong way because they are not interested in living righteously. They're not interested in pleasing God. And even our attempts to do so can be a subtle reminder to them of that, of their own unrighteousness. Tim prayed for those returning to school and I couldn't help but think of of even our, our young people, children, teenagers, as you enter back into some of these relationships where now all of a sudden you have the opportunity to take a stand, to do what is right. Don't take the easy way out and avoid addressing why it is you're seeking to to do what is right. God has much to teach us by bringing us through these difficult circumstances. Don't take the easy way out and avoid in our own attempts at self-preservation, avoid that which God is teaching us through them. So one, suffering exists because sin is present with us, but don't despair. Sometimes suffering is God's will for us. So trust Him. Trust His goodness. And third, suffering allows us to demonstrate our hope in Christ. Suffering allows us in a unique way to demonstrate that our hope is set on Jesus Christ. Verses 15 and 16 provide a sort of blueprint for how we 
are to respond to suffering in a way that we that shows we are trusting God. And that we are attempting to advance the message of of hope in Christ to those who who watch us. This exhortation from Peter in starting in the end of verse 14 through verse the first part of verse 15 is an allusion back to a message given by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 8. I think it really helps helps us understand our response when we face opposition, when we when we are tempted to fear and be troubled. In the context of Isaiah, the southern kingdom of Judah was under threat of attack by the northern kingdom of Israel and its allies. And the message of Isaiah to the people in Isaiah 8, 12 through 13 was this. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And Isaiah's point to the people, the message from God to the people was, don't fear the enemy, fear God. God is holy, fear Him. Recognize who God is. As he is called in Isaiah 8, the Lord of hosts. He is the one that would go to battle for you against your enemy. Fear Him, trust Him. Don't look at the enemy. Don't fear the enemy. Get your eyes off them. Get them on on God. Peter paraphrases this message given by Isaiah here in our text. How do we respond to those who oppose us? Well, negatively, we respond by not fearing, not being troubled by it, but rather, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. That is to sanctify or set apart Christ as holy. And even understanding what God's point was through the prophet Isaiah, we we come now to understand that the way that we respond to opposition, to suffering, to difficulty is really to understand who God is, who Christ is. To sanctify or set Him apart in our hearts really is a statement of of understanding who He is. This is the Lord of hosts. This is Christ, the Lord, the sovereign King. One commentator, a pastor, put it this way. The antidote to the fear of men is awareness of the glory of the Lord Himself. How do we overcome the fear of man? It's an increasing awareness of the glory of the Lord. Seeing Him for who He is. And as we grow in our our, our understanding of who He is, we we grow in our trust of Him.
But not only that, not only are we to view Christ as who He is, the Lord, the sovereign ruler over all things, the the one who is in control of our lives, but we also are called to testify to others of the transformation that the gospel brings to our life. Verse 15 begins with, or, or continues with this exhortation that many of us have probably heard as a, a basis for the, the study and use of apologetics. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Well, certainly the, the study of apologetics is, is an appropriate thing and, 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 could, and is an application of this. I think it, it's, it's much more than that. Our response to suffering ought to be such that we have reason to give an answer to those who, who watch us and ask the reason for our hope. We've already seen in our study of First Peter that our life and the, the, the working of God in our life ought to be done in some measure on display. We've already seen that. We are to be living in a way that people can see us. And the implication here is that, that people will see the way that we endure suffering. And that our response to suffering will provoke the question from them. What he says, anyone who asks. And what is it they're asking? What is the hope that is in you? Why, why are you responding to suffering the way you are? What is it that, that you know that I don't know? Or a thousand other ways that that question could be worded. You see, the way we honor Christ holy is by setting our hope on Him because we recognize who He is. The way that we, in our hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy is by setting our hope in Him. Consider Peter as a prime example of how this power of Christ works in in the life of a person. See, Peter went from being a coward in the presence of a servant girl on the night that, that Christ was sentenced to death to be transformed into a bold preacher of the gospel and eventually a martyr because of his preaching. So Peter, of all people who is writing this, is one that understands that that power of Christ that works in our heart, that transforms us. Whereas he at one point doubted he came to believe and understand and, and set his hope in the person and work of Christ. And by 
our public demonstration of hoping in Christ, we have the opportunity to further advance the work of Christ in this world. As those that either firsthand are, are opposing us or those who are just watching this happen to us. We should use our experience of suffering as a means for advancing the message of of gospel hope in Christ. Peter goes on to say that our response ought to be done a certain way. Not only are we to always be prepared to make a defense for that hope, we do that by understanding who Christ is. Because of understanding who He is, we, we set our hope in Him. But then we communicate that with gentleness and respect. Perhaps this is one of those things that is often neglected in our, our testimony of, of the Gospel. Our goal in defending our hope is not to win an argument or to prove our own superiority over others. But rather it's for those that are asking us to come to know that same hope that we do. Our lives ought to provoke others to desire to know Christ the way we do. We communicate with gentleness and respect, seeking to win them. Seeking to to bring them to understand that same hope that we possess. This public demonstration further is defined in verse 16 where Peter goes on to call us to have a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. The reference to having a good conscience, I think, refers to the fact that we are living in line with the hope that we are professing. That our lives demonstrate that which we are professing with our mouths. Living in accordance with our profession. By doing that, we put to shame those who slander us for living righteously. They will be put to shame. Why? Because... Their slander has no basis in reality. When they seek to speak evil against us, their words carry no weight because they're not true. And the hope of our our heart, the testimony of our life, proves proves that. So our suffering, our difficulty, is an opportunity to demonstrate our hope in Christ. My prayer for us today is that God would take the truth of what Peter is writing in this text and apply it to each of us as as we need today. For some, it may be that you have not yet set your hope on Christ for salvation. I pray that God's Spirit would do His work of opening your eyes to see Christ for who He truly is. And to set your hope on Him. 
as the only hope of salvation. For others, it may be that you are right now experiencing some measure of suffering in your life, whatever that looks like. My prayer for you is that God would continue to convince you of the truth of this passage and others in His Word. Because I recognize that in, in the moment of suffering, it is hard to believe some of these things. But that is, the, that is why it's, it's a work of grace that God is able to convince us of, of what is true. Convince us that what He has revealed to us is, is true and certain. So for those that are right now under the weight of, of suffering and, and difficulty and discouragement, pray that the, the truth of this passage would be a source of strength and hope for you in days ahead. And perhaps there are those who are still holding back from living out this hope in a public way because of the fear of those that will oppose us. It doesn't mean that we live it out. We don't need to overdo it to the, to the extent that we turn people off just because of our behavior needlessly. But I pray that God would free us from the fear of, of being out there in front of people. That He would free us from the fear of, of our righteousness being noticed by others and, and maybe being slandered because of it or mocked. That we truly would fear God and Him alone and, and confidently live our lives to please Him always ready to make a defense of the hope that we possess in Christ. Father, I pray that You would convince us of these truths. That even while what is written here is is often against that which comes naturally to us, I pray that your spirit would do his work in our lives to transform us. So that we would pursue righteousness with all of our heart, all of our energy, free of fear. Understanding who Christ is, our Lord following after Him and trusting You to to bring us through any opposition and suffering and difficulty and discouragement along the way. Increase our knowledge of You, Lord. Increase our, our love for You. Increase our trust in who You are what You have done for us and what You will do for us. Take our eyes off of ourselves and off of our circumstances that we might see You. And having seen You, we would be confident that You have a reward waiting for us 
that You will bring us through that which we are enduring. That we endure by setting our hope in Christ. I pray these things in His name. Amen.